0: This is Pastor Scott Hidman from Clovis Hills Community Church, and you are listening to the Clovis Hills Podcast. You are about to hear from one of our teaching pastors here at Clovis Hills. I want to encourage you to download the Clovis Hills app where you can follow along with today's notes, submit a prayer request, or give to the ministry of this church. I hope today's message encourages you and draws you closer to the heart of God. Oh,
1: my Lord. So Last night... We, I really didn't have a pick. That wasn't for show. Um, about 10 minutes before he went on, he's like, Pastor, I know you play. You're playing with me. I was like, what? Huh? I don't have a guitar. He goes, ah, you can use this kid's guitar. And so that was unrehearsed. We just did three services, though, so we'll pretend it was unrehearsed. Anyway, so I do want to encourage you, if you like that kind of music, if you're into that kind of, you know, because Clovis is the third biggest city in Oklahoma. Um... If you are into that kind of music, I encourage you, 9 a.m. the gospel hour is a venue where we want people to be at. We're trying to get, if you get about 75 to 100 people in that room, it feels really good. You get like a critical mass. So we're bribing people too. So you get, if you make the jump, you commit like, I'm going to do it for three months, six months, whatever it is. and You make that commitment. we got a hundred of these. They're uh, Clovis Hills gospel hour. T-shirts, So, um, but, but you gotta make the jump. And don't worry men, we have men's ones too. Sometimes these ones look like, well, all the guys are like, well, I'm not a worship leader, so I can't wear a tight shirt. So anyways. <laughs> Shots fired, sorry. Um, anyways. Uh, so if, when I was a, a young man, I was in Europe. I went to Europe on a missions trip. And um, it was in 1991. Communism had just fallen in Eastern Europe, and we went into Eastern Europe. And um, the the group that br- brought me and a few others, they had this brilliant idea because back then everyone loved America. Remember those days, older people, young people? America used to be the coolest. We still are, but they just the world doesn't know it. But anyway, so um, we we were we'd pull into these these cities in Eastern Europe, and I was 18 years old and I had a pair of Levi's on and a t-shirt and they were like, they knew you were an American. One, because Levi's cost like a $1,000 in Eastern Europe at that point. And I put a guitar on, we'd bring a little drum set out, a little bass player, just a little three piece blues band. And we'd just start, you know, and I'd start playing blues licks. And before you know it, there'd be a thousand, two thousand, sometimes 3,000 people would just converge because they're like, American music, it's the best, you know, kind of thing. And um, we would, from there, have people, uh, when we were done playing, we would have someone stand up in whatever the mother language was and say, these guys have a message for you. And we had all kinds of people in the crowd that knew how to share the gospel in that language. And then they would go sharing Christ in that language. And that, and and really, that's kind of a beautiful picture of what I hope happens in our church, is that um, Yes, you'll hear the gospel every time you come to Clovis Hills. Like, we'll preach the gospel. We'll call people to decision. But really, we want to see the gospel move from being a pulpit-centered movement to a people-centered movement, that the people of God are gossiping the gospel. And that's a powerful thing. But while we were in Europe, uh, my friend, who is kind of the leader of our our team, he would we would tour and he would show us all the sites cause he had been to Europe you know, nine or 10 times. So he was kind of our tour guide and um, he'd show all kinds of cool things. And I remember at one point though, I thought it was weird, but I, you know, he just was so knowledgeable. I didn't question it. Uh, we were in Switzerland and he just like points out this random house as we're walking by. He goes, oh my gosh, guys, you have no idea. John Calvin, the great reformer was born right here. And we're like, what? And we're taking pictures of this house and all of that. And then my history kicked in and I was like, hey, I thought John Calvin was born in France. And he goes, good observation, Sean. He goes, actually, um, in in 16th century Europe, you had 30 days. So he actually was born here, but then his parents wanted him to have French citizenship. So they traveled to France and he had French citizenship. That's why history books say he was born in France. And I was like, oh, okay, sure. Um, Years later... I'm hanging out with that same guy, and we were talking about Europe, and he confessed to me. He goes, yeah, like half the sites you saw, I just was making it up. I had no idea what they were, and I was like, what? He's like, yeah, remember John Calvin's house? That wasn't it. That was just some dude's house in Switzerland. I was like, so I'm like, wait a minute. My whole life is a lie. So I I remember this one specific place in England, and it was such a cool, it was like a a stone in the middle of a street and it was shaped like a heart in the street and I, I said, do you remember that stone shaped like a heart? and he's like, yeah, where, I, where the, the most notorious murderer in all of England was buried underneath that I'm like, yeah and I said, it was the only place in all of the United Kingdom where it was legal to spit in public and he's like, total lie <laughs> I have pictures of me standing over the thing, spitting on it going, yeah, in your face murderer. like <laughs> fooled me so today we're going to, we're going to talk about foolishness and, um, out of, out of first Corinthians, uh, chapter one, verse 18 through 25. And we're going to talk about belief and the process of belief and how that works. And I think I have a scripture reader. Do I have a scripture reader? I do. Don't mosey out. Don't saunter. Just get right to it. Cause we don't have time for this. <laughs> My friend, Lord, well, we had an extra songs and you know me. Okay. So let's rise to our feet as we read from the word of the Lord.
0: For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing but to us who are being saved it is the power of God for it is written I will destroy the wisdom of the wise the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate where is the wise person where is the teacher of the law where is the philosopher of this age has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world for since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know him God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs, and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Amen. Nailed it, Laura, thank you. So here's the thing. Um, There's three, we're we're gonna talk about in this passage because Paul is, um, there's a reason Paul puts this in the first chapter of Corinthians. See, if you go back and you read the book of Acts, Paul in Acts 17, he go. He's in Athens, which is kind of the intellectual center of all the Roman Empire. It's where all the smarties are. Okay, and he uh, he finds himself in the in the marketplace speaking to these Epicurean and Stoic philosophers that are kind of the intellectual elite of their day. And he's talking to them about the resurrection. And, um, Greeks are fascinated with these kind of intellectual and philosophical topics. So they're, they're kind of like, wow, this guy's really smart. Let's have him speak at the temple. So the, um, the temple in Athens was to the god Mars, the god of war. And it was called Mars Hill. So they brought him to the temple and every day all the philosophers would gather at Mars Hill and they would have, one would get up and speak and then they would debate what he said and, you know, pretty much tear apart what he said. So because Paul is this incredibly brilliant mind, they're enamored with his speech and, and who he is. So he goes to Mars Hill and he begins to speak to all of the, um, all the people. And I, I need to give you a little little like context to what's going on here. So Paul, you have to remember, is a... He, I mean, before he became a Christian, he was a Pharisee, a Jewish Pharisee. And if you are Jewish, how many gods are there? Okay, so two of you know that in this room. How many gods are there if you're Jewish? There's one, right? One God. And you don't have any graven images... There's no images. You don't make images of God. So if you were to go to Israel with me, one of the things you'll find is you go into some of these Christian churches and there's crosses and saints and Mary and images of Jesus on the cross and all these images everywhere. And then all the gift shops, everyone's buying like Jesus on coffee mugs and and crosses and... You know, Mary on a, on a, on a, you know, on a tortilla maker and all, all kinds of this crazy commercialism. But you have to think about this. To a Jewish person living in Israel, they see all of these Christian images and icons as graven images and they're like, why would I ever become a Christian? That is the, part of the Ten Commandments. Part of the law says no graven images. And these Christians have all these graven images. A Jew would come here, they look around and go, oh, not bad. No graven images. And then they might look up and see the cross. Some of you are like, there's a cross here? It's right there. And they'd be like, I don't know about that. But there's no like, person on it, so we're good. No. Paul walks into Mars Hill, and they have altars all over this thing to foreign gods. There's all of these gods everywhere. And normally a, a Jewish Pharisee would be revolted. He wouldn't even walk in. But Paul is a believer in Jesus, and he's been transformed. He walks in right away, and he's looking at all the gods, and he goes, oh, I see you have an altar to the unknown God here. And he begins to tell them about the unknown God, but he uses that unknown God to tell them about Jesus and how Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And a few people come to faith there, just like what happens when Paul would do that. And um, that's Acts 17. And the next verse, Acts 18, one, and we, we have it right here. It says, after this, Paul left Athens for where? Corinth. Corinth. He went to Corinth. So this is why he's talking about, you know, this this whole thing about, you know, where's the wise person? Where's the philosopher? Where is that? Like, I'm giving you context of why it's here to the Corinthians. Because I'm sure when he got to Corinth, he shared the experiences he, he had while he was in Athens. And um, I I want to read you verses 18 through 20. I want to break this down for you really quick. It says here, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made... Foolish, the wisdom of this world. So there's three things, guys, um, ultimately, that we believe with, okay? And um, I want to talk to you about that process of belief. And um, these are not original thoughts. Uh, Paul would have adhered to these three things. Uh, The first guy to ever write about the three things, that how people believe, was Aristotle. He wrote a book called Rhetoric, and in 8325, he talked about it. So if you have your outline, number one is this, we believe with our head. You believe things logically. You won't believe something unless it's logical to you, okay? Um, and here's the truth of the matter, though, is there's a, lo- there's a lot of evidence for a lot of different things. So if you're here today and you're like, well, I don't believe in God because there's nothing logical about God, um, that, that, that's fine. We're, I'm really glad you're here. But I do want to let you know, you know, the, the Bible was pretty clear. It says in Psalm one or 14, 1, it says the fool says in his heart there is no God. Okay? Um, because you cannot be absolutely sure there's no God. Some of you are like, wait a minute, pastor. I don't believe in God. Are you calling me a fool? And I want to apologize. I am not calling you a fool. I am not. The Bible is, but I am not, okay? <laughs> so I'll give you a great, a great example. Um, one of the, the really kind of charismatic, both well-known astrophysicists in the world is Neil deGrasse Tyson. Do we have a picture of him? Can we throw that one up? We got him? There he is right there. Okay. So um, I was talking with a friend this week, uh, the chair of our trustees here at the church. And he's reading a book by Tyson. And um, can you put it back up? Because I, I don't like looking at pictures of my dad on the screen. Anyway, so no, no, put it back. Put it back. Okay. He says, the more I look at the universe, the more I am convinced there's no God. So he's come out and he's been making these statements. You know, all the evidence is pointing to the fact that there's no God. But in this very book where he, he talks about this, I need you to understand something. He he describes that all the matter that we can measure or see or know exists in the universe um, is like the, the gases from all the stars, the dust from all the stars, all of those things that you can see only make up 5% of the universe, Okay. So uh, do me a favor. Your neighbor next to you is made of matter. Poke him. Give him a little poke. Say, good morning. Okay, see, they're made of matter. The chair you're sitting in is made of matter. Poke yourself. You're made of matter. Um, the, you know, the air we're breathing is made of matter, all of that. So listen. He then goes on to talk about there's two other things in the universe that we know exist. One is called dark matter and the other is called dark energy. And they know that dark matter and dark energy exist But they can't see it, they can't measure it, they can't tell us there, and it makes up 95% of the universe we live in is things that you can't see, touch, taste, none of it is there. But then it's logical to say that there's no evidence for God, but there's 95% of the universe, you don't even know what it is. See, that's illogical in reality. And see, the fool says in his heart, there is no God, because I'm gonna let you know, there's plenty of evidence for God. Sure, there's lots of evidence that there's no God, but there's just as much evidence as there's God. I know a guy that believes the earth is flat, and he shows me all kinds of evidence for it, and I think he's crazy. I just offended one person in the room. I know percentages. Write it on your card. Tell me how offended you are. But anyways, (laughs) the earth really is flat. You're a sheep. Okay. You think I'm joking. But anyways, <laughs> I give a great example. For years, scholars, biblical scholars even, they thought that Moses was a fictitional character because there was no evidence that Moses ever existed. There was no evidence that there were Jews in Egypt during the time when Moses was. There was no evidence of the, the whole exodus, the Jews coming in the promised land. They said, that's kind of just a made up folklore. There's no, you know, it's, it's not real. In the last 75 years since uh, the nation of Israel has been a a country again, it's blown open archaeology, and they're finding things all day long throughout the Sinai Desert, even in Egypt. As a matter of fact, last month, guys, last month, they found another scroll in what they call Paleo-Hebrew. What that is, is it's a really primitive Hebrew before Israel was a country They had Paleo-Hebrew, and it dates to the time of Moses, and it was found on the banks of the Nile River. But yeah, I guess he was made up. They used to say that David was a fictitious character because they had no archaeological evidence for him. And then... When Israel opened up, they found evidence for David. And they said, well, he was probably a real guy, but he was kind of like a warlord. He wasn't a king. He wasn't a big deal. And then they opened the, they they found uh, David's palace just outside the gates of Jerusalem and his whole administration. And they realized it was massive and he was exactly the huge deal. And all the things the Bible said happened, they started finding it there in David's palace. As a matter of fact, I can take you, I'll take you to the very place at the Gihon Spring under David's palace, where they brought Solomon down to anoint him, it's right there. It's all there. See, and what happens is scholarship, we have a lot lot of people that are, especially in academia, secular academia, in in our state schools, that are quoting scholarship that's from 50, 60, 75 years ago, when the reality is, is we just keep finding more and more. There's plenty of logical truth. Plenty of logic to believe that God is who He said He is in, in, in the scripture. Um, but that's not just one way we believe. We also believe with our heart, number two. See, it, these two things work together. I don't, I don't know if you realize this. I've said this before, but, but no one in this room, including myself, none of us decided to follow Jesus because we studied all the facts and then came to that conclusion, here's the truth of the matter. Something spoke to our heart and we decided to believe and then we built a case for it our whole life. Now, the agnostic in the room, you're thinking, ha, I've got him. Press pause for a minute because let's be honest, you did the exact same thing. It's not because you've studied all the facts of scripture, all the, all the evidence, all the, the whole case for it. It was you decided to be an atheist or agnostic for whatever reason was going on in your life, and whatever circumstances are going on in your life, and 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 then you've spent your life building a case for what you believe. That's the way humans work. We start lo- with some some logic, but our heart speaks just as much as our head speaks. That's why um, you know it happens a couple times a year. But someone will come forward. I remember one one week a, a woman came to talk to me after church, and she's like, "I don't know if I believe this Jesus thing yet." But you need to explain something to me. And I'm like, yeah. she goes, well, how come every time I'm in this service, I I end up crying? And sometimes it's like an ugly cry. And I don't even believe this stuff. And I said, oh, that's very simple. Um, Here's how it's working. Your soul, your heart knows there's a God. Knows there's a God. And your feeling is love. And your head hasn't caught up with that yet. And if you stick around, your head will catch up with your heart. And those two will come together and you'll believe. And she was like, "Hmm." Huh. Looked at me like I was crazy, left. Yeah, she became a believer. Anyway, so um, it, yeah, it, it happened. Her head caught up with her heart. So, so these two things work together in belief. And um, look, look, what it, look what it says. I'm gonna read you 21 through 25. It says here, for since in the wisdom of God... The world, through its wisdom, did not know him. This is verse 21. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Now, here's the two things. There's two groups, Jews and Greeks, and they believe differently. Jews demand signs. Greeks look for wisdom. But we, we preach Christ, a stumbling block for the Jews and foolishness for the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, is the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than any human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. So, let me, I, I, I want you to understand a little bit of context of what he's talking about here. So when he's talking, he's talking to Jews and Greeks, okay? We're Americans, so you've got uh, Clovites and Fresnans. I'm kidding. We've got some singers, and you know, I know, Central Valley people. Whatever. the the point the point I'm making though the the Jews wanted signs. That's how they knew that God was 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 there. And um, the reason they they struggled believing in Jesus, I'm going to be honest with you, is is because there were all kinds of people during that time that would rise up and say they were the Messiah, and then they would be crucified. Uh, it happened multiple times during the life of Paul, even in 80, uh, about 47, there was a guy named Tertius, uh, Josephus wrote about him and he um, told all of the, all the Jews in Jerusalem and he got thousands of them to follow him, that he was going to do a reverse exodus. and They were all going to leave Jerusalem and they were going to go to the Jordan river and he was going to part the Jordan river and they were going to cross over into the new promised land that God had given them. And all of these people believed him and the Jews wanted signs. They wanted something big like that to happen. You know, that just showed everyone like, see that Romans, take that kind of thing. And thousands followed him out to the Jordan River and he went to separate the Jordan River to part the Jordan River and the Jordan River did not parted, and everyone was bummed and then he got arrested and he was crucified outside the gates of Jerusalem, just like Jesus. AD 54, which would have been around the same time that Paul was writing Corinthians, There was a guy, Josephus talks about again. They called, we don't have a name for him. He was called the Egyptian prophet. Some guy from Egypt and Alexandria he came and he he said, I'm going to destroy the walls of Jerusalem with the power of God. And 30,000 people gathered to watch him do it. And he did his thing. The walls of Jerusalem did not fall. He was arrested and crucified. So the Jews, they're like, well, Jesus was crucified like a criminal, just like all the other shysters. But the difference was the resurrection. And because he didn't resurrect and show himself to everyone and, you know, come with signs and powers, they've struggled with that ever since. The Greeks, on the other hand, they look at it, they looked at Christianity as kind of like a <laughs> redneck religion. It was too simple. You mean God became a human and he lived a perfect life and died as a sacrifice for our sins? And all you gotta do is believe? Way too easy. And that was kind of, they thought it was foolishness. And this is, this is what, what Paul's addressing. This is what the Corinthians would have struggled with. And see, the Greeks were intoxicated with big words and, and complex things, and the Jews wanted big signs. And Paul said, but we preached Christ crucified, which is a stumbling block for both. But to anyone who's been called by God, it gets them right here. It gets them right here. So there's a third thing, though, that fosters belief. It's how we believe as humans. Again, I didn't make this stuff up. Aristotle was the first to write about it. Paul adhered to it. It's, it's just gone the whole way. So we, we, with our, right? The first is with our mind, our logos, as Aristotle would say. And the second is with our heart, our pathos, right? The third way that belief happens in human beings is through ethos, our surroundings. Okay. So number three, we believe in our environment. Not like we believe in the environment, like we worship the earth kind of thing but but we believe in the right environment. And whatever environment you put yourself in is what you will believe. That's the truth of the matter. And I'll give you a couple quick examples, okay? But for, first one, um, I, I see this happen from time to time again. Uh, couples who come to the church, they love Jesus, they're following Jesus and um, stuff happens. And their marriage falls apart for whatever reason and they end up getting divorced. Well, here's what happens. Um, one person always gets the church. And then the other's got to figure out what to do. And that one person that gets to church still gets to keep their Christian friends or Christian environment, all of that. And um, it's hard on them, but they get through it and they usually keep their faith. But I see it happen time and time again. The other spouse loses all of that. And if they don't find it somewhere else quickly, you watch their faith just slowly crumble over time because your environment will affect what you believe, the people you surround yourself with. I hear the words of my father echoing right now. Boy, show me your friends, I'll show you your future, right? And yes, my dad was Yosemite Sam. Um, He also was the guy uh, from Big Thunder Railroad. Hold on to your hats and glasses, okay? (laughs) Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. We, and some of you are like, not me. okay. The ones that are saying that are 16. Because it is a human fact that our, the people we surround ourselves affect. The things we watch, the things we listen to, the, the content we take in on the internet, all of that affects who we are and what we believe. I'll give you another great example. If you're, you're a high school, where are my high school students at? Holla, Holla, where are we at? Yeah. Okay, we got a couple up here. Some of you are afraid. I'm in high school. All right, my guy over here, Listen. I see this happen all the time too. So you go, um, you're, you're in high school, you go to youth group, you, you know, you're following Jesus. Maybe you got saved at camp. That happens a lot, right? Camps are really good at leading kids to Jesus. We have a motto here, get a kid to camp, get a kid to Jesus. It's very, very simple. And you know, sometimes they don't use fair tactics, right? I remember being at Hume Lake and you know, they're playing like the music and it's like emotional terrorism. The speaker gets up and he always does. He goes, kids, just look around right now look at each other. And you're, they're all having this emotional moment. He goes, we will never be like this ever again until heaven. Some of these people you'll never see again until heaven. And, you know, Susie, you met four hours ago and you're convinced you're getting married to now. You're like, oh my gosh, he's right. And then he goes, "Band play friends of friends forever. And everyone's putting their arms around each other crying and everyone comes to Jesus. Okay. And some of you are like, yeah, the, the older folk are like, yeah, that's so petty. Yeah, you guys used to do hayrides, right? Remember those? Guy in the front's playing do Lord and everyone's in the back doing it. But anyways, listen. Anyone over 55 is like, oh my gosh, he was there. I wasn't, but Listen. You come to Christ, you start following Jesus, you develop a relationship with God, you're involved in church, you're involved in youth group, FCA, whatever it is, and then here's what happens. You end up um, going away to college, and you you, know, you, you go to uh, you know, wherever, Chico State, or San Diego State, or UCSD, I, I'm not showing favorites, okay? But here's the deal, you go away to a college, secular college, and here's what happens. You have this faith, your youth pastor, and usually me, grab you by the cheeks and go, find a church! Please find Christians, because we know your ethos affects what you believe. And they go, we will, Pastor, we will. And I go, if you can't find a church, find some people, find an FCA, find a Camps Crusade, find a group. I will, Pastor, I will. They go. Here's what happens all the time. They don't find a group. They get invited to a couple frat parties. Before they know it, they're drinking some. Before they know it, they've got a boyfriend or girlfriend. They're sleeping with them. They feel incredibly guilty because the lifestyle they're living now is contrary to the faith that they're brought up in, the very thing their heart believes. And their logos now is all confused because their environment has affected their heart. And then here's what happens. I see it all the time. About a month in, they're calling the youth pastor, it's so hard here, I don't know what to do. And the youth pastor's like, find a church, I'm trying. Okay, and then they keep going to the parties and then the teachers begin to say, oh, well, you know, the Bible's not really true. It's kind of myth, it's a good book. And here's what happens. They start feeding the logos, the thing the pathos wants to hear because it's feeling guilty. And because their ethos has affected Their pathos, they look for new logos to affect their belief. And six months into their college career, they're like, yeah, I don't know if God's real or not. And we're shocked that it happens every time. See, high school students, I love you guys. And it's, adults are no different though, I want to let you know. When they listen to six hours of sports talk radio or six hours of conservative talk radio or um, you know, you watch your novellas all day long or whatever it is you're doing or you're just on Huff Post all the time and you're not taking in the things of God, your ethos will affect your logos and then it'll affect your pathos. This is how belief works. For some of you today though, I wanna encourage you. The Bible is really clear. God is not mad at you for that. He's not mad. God is is mad about you. He's crazy for you. Yeah, I know we we sing that song, Reckless Love of God. And um, I'm just gonna put this down, because here's the deal. Sometimes people are like, oh, that song's not theologically correct. And um, one, if that's you, stop. It's art. Art is subjective. There's a whole book in the Bible called the Psalms that uses all kinds of different metaphors. So get over yourself. I'm here to encourage. So here's the thing: God really is madly in love with you, and His love, in some ways, was reckless. Because here's the deal: Jesus left the throne of heaven; He left it all to become a baby, to live a perfect life as a man in a sin, in a broken body, in a body just like yours and mine. Men, any of you uh, struggle with your body? Any of you struggle with your mind? Okay, so listen. He lived in that, but he lived perfectly for you. And the Bible says that whoever believes in him, all you gotta do is believe. You don't gotta be a member of this church. You don't gotta put a fish on your car. You don't gotta vote Trump. You don't gotta do any of that stuff. You just have to believe. That Jesus did that for you. And John, the the apostle John, he said it this way. "That But as many as receive them, if you would receive Jesus to those who believe in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. That when you receive him, you become his child. Your sins are forgiven. He's not concerned about how you act. He's concerned about you. He loves you and he has a destiny for your life. He wants to change your life and give your life a purpose rather than just grabbing at things like, oh, this maybe this will be good, maybe this will be good. He loves you, he's crazy about you. So, you have to make a decision though. God loves you so much and respects you as a person so much he's left you with that decision, whether you will receive Jesus or you won't. He said it in Revelation 3.20, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone listens, I will come in. And he stands at the door of some of our hearts this morning, wanting a relationship with you, wanting to change your life, wanting to forgive you of your sins and turn you into the person that you were created to be. You ever have that feeling? You know you're supposed to be someone, but you don't know who it is. It's like deep in your bones. That's the person you're feeling that you can't put words to. That's the person God created you to be. And only until you have a relationship with Jesus can you point yourself in that way and figure out who that person is. So I'm gonna lead us in a prayer right now. And I wanna encourage you. We're gonna pray. And for some of you, today's the day for you. Don't put it off anymore. You're never gonna have enough logos. But you have enough to believe. Jesus said you don't need tons of faith. You don't need to come to Christ as like, I've got this down. You just need to have faith the size of a mustard seed if you've got that and you sense Jesus knocking at the door of your heart, today's your day, don't put it off. Invite him in, let's pray. Father God, I thank you. I thank you that you, you still speak, Lord. And Lord, I know in this world, sometimes this message of Jesus just seems foolish. It seems too simple, too easy. But Lord, I thank you that it is that simple and that easy. And I pray for anyone in this room today, Lord, that they sense you are calling them by name into a relationship with them. Give them courage this morning to step into that. Give them just the itty bit of faith they need to point their heart towards you. If that's you this morning, you sense Jesus is knocking at the door of your heart. I want to just encourage you to invite him in right now in the quietness of your heart. Maybe you just pray something simple if you don't know what to pray. Pray something simple like, Lord Jesus, I need you. I realize my sin has separated me from you. I open my heart to you. Come in and forgive me of my sins and make me the person you want me to be. God, I don't even know how to do that or, but I'm going to trust that you're going to point me that way now. If that's you this morning, if that was the prayer of your heart, would you do me a favor? Just with every head bowed and eye closed, I want to pray a blessing over you. If that was the prayer of your heart, would you do me a favor? Would you raise your hand right now? Just raise it high so I can pray a blessing. God bless you and you. Keep them up, guys. I'm scanning the room. Thank you, bro. Anyone else? Thank you. Back there back there. Thank you. Anyone else? Father God, I thank you for each hand that went up this morning and I pray a blessing on their life, Lord. Thank you for the courage that they had to out themselves, that they, they're, they're asking you into their heart. Bless them, Lord. Set them apart for greater things than they could ever imagine. We thank you, Lord, and we love you and we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. amen. Hi, this is Pastor Sean Beatty from Clovis Hills Community Church. I want to thank you for listening to the podcast. Hey, I encourage you to download the Clovis Hills app on your phone. With the app, you can do all kinds of things like prayer requests, live notes, giving. I also encourage you to check out our uh, Facebook live page if, if you want to watch online. You can come to our services live. They're Saturday nights at 6 o'clock, Sundays at 9 a.m. and 1040.
0: Thanks so much for listening to the podcast.